it makes sense as we can segue into occupational therapy, OT, OT is a grind. OT is something that's very difficult. It sounds like the blessing of disguise too, your baseball journey probably prepped you for what you're going through right now. So what's the story behind you deciding that you wanted to become an occupational therapist? Because obviously you went nursing, pre-med, OT, and where are you at right now in, in that in that journey of, of school and education? Yeah. Um, I definitely agree the baseball grind and everything kind of helps uh, prep you mentally for that journey. OT, occupational therapy, um, I'm sure not too many listeners are, are familiar with it. Everybody knows PT, but nobody knows OT. So one of the, the, the biggest things is that people say, oh, OT is at like PT, but for just for upper body. I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> Or they think occupational therapy. Oh, you're going to help me find a job? Like, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> can you can you tell us that? And you're probably on the way to doing it. What's the difference between OT and PT right off the bat? So anyone listening can really walk away from this and say, okay, now I know the difference between the two. Yeah, for sure. So this is actually something we spent a lot of time on in in the first few months of school. But the way I like to frame it is OT, occupational therapy. Um, you want to think of the things you do on an everyday basis. So whether it's your routines, uh, your habits, um, you can take it from a biomechanical approach um, as far as injuries and how those things or any barriers affect your ability to do the everyday things. So PT, physical therapy, is very exercise-based. So if you have a knee injury, you go to a PT, they'll strengthen your muscles, get you back to walking. OT, if you come in with an injury, say a knee injury, we'll work on those same things, but we're going to work on the functional side of it. So what is it that you need to use that knee or that leg for? You know, Are you working in construction where you have to climb up in equipment? Um, are you working, you know, something where you have to climb a ladder? Well, OT is going to help you learn how to climb that ladder or climb into that equipment um, while still focusing on those physical things as well. Uh, but it's a very functional side of, of uh, therapy. Very good. I like that. Yeah. So getting into as far as how I got into it, I was kind of in the same boat, didn't really know what it was. And for my undergraduate degree being kinesiology, there's not a whole lot you can do with a kinesiology degree. Undergrad, you got to go master's or... Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So I was looking into my options as far as what to do post-undergrad um, and saw occupational therapy come up, um, read into it a, a little bit, um, but decided to do my undergrad internship at an outpatient occupational therapy um, department. Um, and that was probably the greatest thing for me. Um, I got to learn from four different OTs. So my direct supervisor was a certified hand, certified hand therapist. So she worked primarily with any injuries to the hands, anything post-surgical, very orthopedic-based. Found out real quickly that hand therapy was a little dry and a little boring, very much following protocols. But another therapist there, actually two of them, actually specialized in neuro. So 
they worked a lot with patients who had strokes or patients with neuromuscular conditions like MS or ALS and also like brain injuries. And that was just like the coolest thing to me um, to see how they were able to restore function, add adaptive equipment, work on different techniques for those patients to be functional um, after something so traumatic, especially in the neuro realm, uh, can can be pretty life-changing. So I kind of fell in love with that. I did get to shadow some peds and everything. Uh, I got to see a lot of different areas, but neuro is kind of what really stuck out to me. That kind of sparked my interest in OT and, and my pursuit of going into it. So how many years of school for OT typically? What's your program? So my program is actually accelerated. So ours is two years um, post-undergrad. So we will go all year round for two years. And then we also have a term in January. And then the term in the summer. So whereas a typical OT program is usually three years, they'll have their typical breaks, um, like a long winter break, And then obviously full summer's off, but they kind of spread it all out into three years. Um, The one I am in at currently, uh, which is Elmhurst University, is just two years straight through. Which I'd imagine, if it's it's accelerated, it's probably more intense. It is. It's quick. A lot of information thrown at you, a lot of work to do. But you get it it done, you get out of the way with, and and you get into practice. And where are you at right now in the curriculum? It's two-year program where you're at. Two-year program, I am in spring semester of year one. And the way it works is you, so you start in August, and then you have your fall and January terms, which I have completed. And then you have spring, which I'm in now. You'll have a summer court or summer term, another fall term, and then you go into your kind of your clinical work. Um, from January till about June. Um, once June is finished, then you go back for four weeks and then you graduate and then you take your big test to get your license. From what I remember, when I was at St. Louis University, I dated a girl that was a PT. All of, a lot of people that she was friends with were PTs and OTs. And honestly, if you at St. Louis University and probably in college, if you hang out at the gym a lot, like that's, I feel like it was all pre-med and PT and OT at the gym. Yeah. You just pick up on on the 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 flow of things for for these people that are they're studying this, like you. Clinical work, right? From what I remember, you go different place, go to different places, right? Yep. So we get two placements. So one placement has to be pediatrics or working with kids. Unfortunately, that one's going to be tough for me because I do not want to work with kids. <laughs> And then um, your second placement, they try to put you in, in an area that you kind of want to pursue after you graduate. So for me, I'm hoping to either work in a, in a nursing home or in maybe like a, a neuro setting, um, more outpatient. So Makes a ton of sense. Now you're, you're basically wrapping up year one. What was the most difficult part about year one? Oh, man. I think probably the hardest part is there's a lot of learning to do outside of the classroom. So for me, I'm very much an auditory learner, and I learn a lot based off of lectures and and from professors talking. Um, But what I quickly realized is they can only cover so much content within a day. 
So you have a lot of responsibility to go and um, read and learn more about things they maybe touched on but really didn't get into, but are going to be practical once you get into the field. Would you say that this kind of kind of goes hand in hand with baseball then? Because when you were playing baseball, you realize your senior year, oh my gosh, or my I guess freshman year of college, practice isn't enough. Like a, that kind of probably prepared you for this. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, and I know we're going to touch on this later too. Um, but I also did seventy five hard before um, starting grad school. And I think, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 don't be rushing. Yeah. Jumping topics here. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I think, um, kind of preparing my mind to fully understand like the discipline and the work that goes beyond of just the, the normal expectations, I guess. And uh, yeah, I think baseball too helped a lot of realizing, yeah, we have class and, and readings and, and homework. That's only the buy-in, you know, there's going to be the extras of really digging into the material, learning how it translates, translates practically and how it's going to affect your practice in the future too. No, you're absolutely right. So there's this awesome quote. I read a book. Have you ever heard of, it's basically like, I forgot the title of the book, but it it has to do with emotional intelligence. I can look up the quote. I'll send it to you after this, but basically when you talk about, how much time it, it takes to become great at something outside of the, the typical hours. During the book, she talks about everyone. I think it was Mozart, one of the famous uh, musicians of all time. People were like, oh, he's just a genius. That's why he's so good at this. He's just naturally gifted. And her one of her quotes was so amazing. She basically said, I'm sure he was really talented, but was he as great as he ended up becoming because he was just naturally talented? Or was it because he played the piano until his fingers bled? Yes. <laughs> Dude, I love that. <laughs> because she's just challenging the people who, it's one of my biggest pet peeves when I'm talking to someone. We were out at dinner a few weeks ago, and Katie's family, they were talking about other speech pathologists that she works with. Oh, that girl, no. She just she just picks everything up so quick because she's just so smart, and she went to the school. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, nobody, like, woke up and just knew everything. Like, everyone has to work and become really good. At, I think it, it almost takes away from someone when you just say they're really, they're just really gifted naturally. That, that is so spot on. I, yeah, that's something I I have actually have learned maybe in the past few years. And I think a lot of it too, is how you, how you grow up translating maybe into like business or, or money. Um, seeing someone who drives a nice car or is, or is just filthy rich, right? Like, Oh, then you, you almost have a negative connotation towards them. Like, Oh my gosh, they're rich. Like they don't have any worries. Like they can do whatever they want. But I, I don't think anybody really sees like behind the scenes. Those are the same people who have been working for the last twenty five years, Monday through Sunday, sun up to sundown. Right. Like they earned that ability to have that money to buy that nice car. There's so much work that goes into that nobody really sees, and I think it's important to kind of have that perspective too. Like good for them. Like they must have really worked hard for that versus oh man it must be so nice you know that reminds me of bodybuilding like i i'm i love look i love looking at guys (laughs) 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 a guy who has a phenomenal physique i'm just like i know the hours and time and you know you look at sebum and you're like and he talks about it too like i don't get to go out and eat my friends i'm eating 1400 calories and like i'm 
I'm five eight and a half, five, five eight with two hundred and ten pounds and fourteen hundred calories sucks for me. This guy yeah. is huge and easy. Yeah. Thirteen hundred calories, not allowed to go out with his friends. But people would look at him, his physique, as opposed to the car and be like, Oh, must be nice. It's just to look like that, but are you willing to sacrifice? Yeah, spot on. Spot on. Two two more things on, on this segment. One, what advice would you give to any kid listening or anyone listening that is you know, considering or is committed to becoming an occupational therapist. What's your what's your number one piece of advice? Well, first off, I, I would say it's pretty cool that they even know what OT is. <laughs> well, they learned listening to this podcast. That's you- right. <laughs> um, one piece of advice is I would I would give to them is to um, to keep the main focus in mind, and what I mean by that is. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of things that go through your head as far as um, how you're looking at someone's um, barrier, disability, injury. Um, but ultimately, the main reason anyone really gets into the profession or is um, practicing occupational therapy uh, is to help the person in whatever way that is. And sometimes that might be a way that you don't even realize. Um, someone comes in with a broken wrist but hey, they have all this in life going on. Um, sure, maybe you can help them with the broken wrist, but what impact could you have on their life beyond that? And I think just kind of keeping that focus, um, even in the midst of everything going on, um, is very important. That's beautiful. We love it. Anyone looking to get into OT? That's great advice from Eli Sanchez, who kind of, sort of, if you if you do see some video, kind of looks like Jimmy Garoppolo, but... <laughs> hey, hey. I promised myself I wouldn't beat it up like a dead horse. <laughs> well, there's my Jimmy Garoppolo comment, and I'm out. <laughs> like I said before, Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm just I'm his great value brand. Okay, last part on this topic. This stood out to me when we were at dinner, and you're probably laughing because you're thinking, geez, when I hang out with Adam, he's just taking notes on me. So <laughs> literally, I wrote this down when we were at dinner, just so you know. I've noticed you said this a few times at dinner and it got me thinking it means something to you. I don't know where you heard it. I don't know if you came up with it, but I want you to talk about it. And I definitely know where you're at right now at school and in the grind. So quite a few times at dinner, you would say no time for tired. Your quote was no time for tired multiple times. Talk to me about what this means to your life right now, the origin behind it. Where did you hear about it? Did you come up with it? Please go ahead with that. Yeah, that's actually um, something that I kind of came up with on my own. Where it stems from actually is more of a mental toughness, discipline kind of mindset. And the way I maybe reference it is that when I say no time for tired, yes, okay, I have a lot going on on a day-by-day basis. Um, but I think with that, the saying is more of a reminder to not be complacent or feel sorry for myself or feel like I deserve a break or time to be tired as I, as I say. Um, But it's more of a frame to push on and kind of win the day. Like there's no time for me to sit back and feel sorry for myself when there's opportunity for me to be doing something to better myself. That's awesome. It keeps you in, in the right, in the right headspace. I picked up on it right away. 
one of my favorite, uh, I'm a big, I know you're not as big of a movie fan, so we, we, st- we stick away from the movies, but one of my favorite lines that uh, Rocky has is when he fights the Russian after the Russian killed his, his friend Apollo in the ring. You know, he's taking a beating, but he's going, he's, they're, they're like middle, middle rounds or end rounds. He and his coach are in the corner, and they keep saying to each other, no pain, no pain. And he's saying it back to his coach, and it's like, he's yeah. in a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you are tired, but you're like, there's no time for it. There's no time to give it uh, any more value than it deserves.